Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. When I was 20 years old, I reconnected with God on a deep level. I'd come off of, I'd come off a, uh, a senior year, I'd come off a, a surgery, and I've told that story before. I'd come off a, a season of God working in me, but me not necessarily responding. And then one night, after having read a devotion, because I was in a small group, I didn't really want to be in it, but I was part of this, this basketball team for my church, uh, or for, for the church that I was connected to at the time. I was on their, their college basketball team that uh, played in an intramural, I mean, uh, uh, just a, a league that was in the city. And they had all these different divisions. And so they asked if I would come and play with them. And the, the one catch was I had to go to a Bible study. And so the only reason why I was there was because I wanted to play basketball. I know it's a bad reason, and, uh, and I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that kind of, uh, you know, bait and switch. Well, come and play with this, but you have to come to a Bible study. But for this guy, it worked. And I was reading my material one night, and there was, there was this awakening. And I don't know any other way to explain it. There was an aha moment for me. And right there, uh, by the side of my bed, I kneeled down and I said, God, take all, take all of it, take all of me, whatever you want to do with me, I give my life completely to you. I've believed in you since I was a kid. I have given you some of my life, but for the first time, I am saying you can have it all. I can't explain the feeling that I had as soon as I finished that prayer. There's no words for it. Some of you have had that experience, haven't you? That moment where you said, God, take all of it, and it was like a burden was lifted off of you. It was like there was a whole new sense of understanding about the world around you. There was this relief, but then also a a deep sense of satisfaction and faith and, dare I say, joy. That's the first time I think I really understood what joy is. That day when I got up from, or night, when I got up from the side of my bed, I literally kneeled down and prayed because I didn't know anything else to do. When I got up, I had that overwhelming sense of joy. I didn't know where life was going. I had just committed saying, hey God, you can do whatever you want to with me. I had no clue it would lead me into ministry. I had no clue it would lead me into uh, reconnecting with Laura and then eventually dating Laura and then eventually coercing her into marrying me bribing her into marrying me. I had no idea that it would take us uh, to places all over and, and, and meeting people from all over. And, and I, I had no idea where my life was going that night. But, but for the first time in my life, when I relinquished control and I released everything to God, I felt a complete peace and joy. It was deep. It was abiding And I knew that nothing in the world around me could take that away from me. 
So when I think about joy, that's what I think about. Now, I've experienced that since then numerous times. I've experienced it in a prayer time. I've experienced it as I've listened to uh, a worship set, or I've experienced it in here with you guys. I've experienced it in relationships. I've experienced it in, in laughing. I've experienced it sitting down in Chris Fuchs's office, you know, just a dip, deep sense of joy. I've, I've experienced it with all of you guys in this room and it, you know, being able to hold a baby for the first time that has been, that has been born here uh, at the Grove. I mean, to be able to do that, there is a deep sense of joy that I have and all those experiences. I've experienced it in a lot of different ways now. But that was the first time I knew what joy was. That it was something otherworldly. Today we're going to look at a passage that's familiar. And this passage happens in Matthew 2. And we don't know exactly when it happens because Matthew's not clear. Now some believe that this happens as much as two to three years after Jesus is born. Jesus is born. Others believe that it happened 13 days after Jesus is born. We really don't know. However, from textual hints, we think that it was probably two to three years after Jesus was born. What the text says in and of itself reveals that to us. Even though there is a section of, of the world that believes that it happened exactly 13 days after his, his birth, there's absolutely zero uh, evidence for that. And so we're going to go with the thought that this happens, this takes place some two to three years after Jesus is born. It's the story of the Magi. And it's a place in the, in the birth narrative where we see this idea of joy creep in. And today we're going to look at this passage, and then we're going to ask two questions. Why were the wise men joyful, and what did they do in response to this feeling of joy? So let's take a look at this. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Some... People say they're magi, some people say wise men, some people say astrologers. These were men who studied the stars, who studied what at that time was considered science, and who studied prophecies. They were wise men. They were learned men. And they were all men at the time. Sorry, ladies. But that's who they were. And they show up in Jerusalem saying, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these men who are watching the stars and, and reading the stars and looking at prophecies come across a prophecy about a Jewish king that's going to be born. Now, some people say that they believe this happened when two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, came into connection around four to six uh, A.D., what would be 4 to 6 A.D., or somewhere in there. I can't remember now. Sorry. This is what happens when you preach without notes. Sometimes those little details get lost. But there was, a, there was an event where Jupiter and Saturn came in line. Jupiter was the, was the um, planet or star in their world that uh, represented royalty, and Saturn was the one that represented uh, the Sabbath, which in, in the Middle East was considered... Uh, a, a star for the Jews. So a royal star and a Jewish star came together. We don't know if that's what this is or not. 
But they saw something and they started to follow the star. They wanted to figure out what it was. So they take a journey. Now, they came from a long way. We don't know how long it took them to travel. We have no clue really what the makeup of this group of men are. There are legends that popped up centuries later about who they were. There are legends that there were three men. One was a young man, one was an old man, and one was a man from Africa or dark skin. There is no basis for that in Scripture. We have no reason to believe that that happened, but that's what legend says. And so we have these men traveling and they are seeking out this king. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, it's probably not all of Jerusalem. Not every citizen of Jerusalem knew what was going on. And if they did know, even cared about it. The point here is it's hyperbole. That all the important players in Jerusalem, all the people with power, all the people that would have some say-so, of the, they were beginning to get concerned. There's these foreign guys that show up and they want to worship a king, but we have a king. And that king's not a very friendly king. And if that king has another king that could be king instead of this king that we have, this new king could be in danger. And this other king, this king that we have, could take it out on all of us. I mean, there was all sorts of ramifications for this being a rival king here. And so leadership would have been worried, and they were troubled. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born because this king wasn't very religious, even though he wanted to be the Messiah. Weird, isn't it? How people have a Messiah complex but don't want anything to do with the real Messiah. Verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for that's what the prophet says. Verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So sketchy king finds out where this new, this new Messiah, this new king is supposed to be born and sends them on his way. But then he asks him, once you find out where he is, let me know. It's supposed to be Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a, a small town, a village. We don't know how many people lived there at the time exactly, but, I mean, a couple of thousand. Find out which house this kid's in. Let us know, and I want to come and worship him too. We later find out that he had a nefarious... Um, idea of what he wanted to do. Verse 9. I'm sorry. Yes, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where this child was. Now that verse is just weird. It makes no scientific sense. Bethlehem is only five miles away, just across the Kidron Valley and up over a hill from Jerusalem. You could literally look at it and go, 
That's it. See those little sparkly lights over there? I mean, they didn't have electricity back then, so if there were sparkly lights, they would have been fire. But see those sparkly fires over there? That's it. Now, I'm no specialist when it comes to stars, but I don't think you can tell when a star moves if it's only moving you five miles. That just doesn't make sense. So let's be, let's be honest that this can't be some just star in the sky that moves and shows them. There's something more here. Now, where people get stumbled on is if you want to make this just scientific, it doesn't fit. If you don't believe in miracles, this doesn't fit. But if you believe in miracles, and if you have faith that a supernatural God can do supernatural things, and I've seen it, not stars. Please don't, please don't send someone after me. I'm not seeing things but I've seen supernatural things unfold. And if you believe that, if you've experienced that, you know that this star that they followed this five miles was some sort of supernatural event. We have no explanation of, of the specifics of this, nor were we intended to know. If Matthew, who recorded the story, wanted us to know all the details, if, if he himself knew all the details, we probably would have had it. But we don't. And so this is where faith comes in. This is some sort of supernatural event that we don't understand, that we can't, that we can't recreate. This is a God thing. And so the wise men who believed that there were multiple gods, by the way, believed that something from the other realm was happening to them. And they believed that it was happening because this Jewish king who was born was from God and was purposed by God. And so they followed the star, and then when, it, when they got to Jerusalem, something supernatural happened and take them directly to the house where Jesus was. I don't know how that happened. I don't know what it looked like, but it happened. Or at least that's what faith tells us. And so, they follow the star. Now, it's a supernatural event, which is important to understand because of this next verse. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And that's an excellent translation of the original language. There's actually the use, the root word for joy four, three times, and then a cognate like a fourth time here. So, it's, it's this redundancy of this idea of joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's a great translation of what is actually said. It's odd in the original language. It doesn't make sense. But this is like, I've said this before, this is like the, the, uh, the used car lot that puts up the neon lights and the blowy things that look like this. And then they have balloons on every car and they have streamers going and they have, you know, hey, hey look at us. We got new cars, used cars, all that kind of stuff. It's like that. This is like a flashing big sign. Except it's not saying used cars. This big sign is these guys were overwhelmed with a joy that is inexplainable. They were so joyful. It was something that they had never felt before. This was, this was something they had never experienced. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is a huge moment for them. It was earth-shattering, life-changing moment for them. And so we come to this first question, why did they rejoice this way? And I think there's at least three, and there's probably more. First off, these guys have been traveling for who knows how long from who knows how far. They knew this was an important event. And have you ever been on a long journey with little kids? Yeah. And it's that last 20 minutes of the journey and all that comes with that when you have little kids, especially if you've been traveling for a long time, and it's that last 20 minutes and you get there, there is a sense of, oh my gosh, if you're not a parent if you don't have children yet it's coming or if you're a new parent just wait it gets fun and exciting to travel with little kids <laughs> and so it's it's this idea they rejoice because this is a long arduous journey they have reached they have reached the mountaintop. It's like when we got to the top of climbing the mountain this summer, Laura was so thankful until she realized she had to walk back down. But that moment when we get up to the top and you're like, yes, and everything just is amazing for a moment. They were rejoicing because they had arrived. I think there's a second reason why they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing because the way they got there was supernatural. They experienced something they had never seen before. They experienced something that was otherworldly. They experienced something that blew their mind to the point that they were excited that the, in their minds that this God of the Jews had allowed them to experience His power. They were overwhelmed with the sense of God's power in that moment and what He's done. It's a supernatural event that they've experienced. And so they're joyful. And then I think the third reason is they realize the magnitude that them, these guys, who were not Jewish, who were not part of the Jewish faith or the Jewish leadership or the Jewish cult, which is that part of the faith that was in charge of all the worship experiences. They realized, so people, let me just say this. So that's, a, I just used a, um, a term that's, that biblical scholars use, and you heard cult and you're like, wait, there's a Jewish cult? And you just thought cult was a bad thing. Cult in its original form didn't mean cult like weird people in the woods drinking Kool-Aid. The Jewish cult was that group of Jewish leaders who were in charge of maintaining all of the Jewish festivities, all the Jewish worship in the, in the synagogues, all the Jewish worship in the temple. There was this inner group, and they were given, basically they were given the special, the special place and the special purpose of, of helping people experience their God. These guys weren't part of that. They weren't the ones who got to go in the Holy of Holies. And they realized the magnitude of the fact that here they are Gentiles who don't worship this God have been allowed in. 
So let those three things seek in for a second. Joy comes when we realize that the end of our journey is Christ. It's not the road that we want to go on. It's not the goals that we have. It's not, it's not the places that we want to go, do, uh, go, the places we want to go, the things we want to do, and the people we want to meet. The joy doesn't come from, from those things. The joy comes from the fact that at the end of all of that, what they pursued was this joy. This long journey led them to Christ. And they rejoiced. Guys, I don't know what you're pursuing, but if it's anything but Christ, you will never experience the joy that the wise men experienced. The second thing is it's supernatural joy, right? It's joy over the supernatural. Guys, God wants to invite you into His supernatural love, His supernatural work, His supernatural change in your life. He's inviting you to experience the supernatural. And when you do, there's a whole different joy. And then the third thing is he's inviting all of us. You don't have to be smart enough, come from the right education, have all the right words and right thoughts. He is opening the door. Is he open to the Magi, to anyone who's willing to follow? That's why they're joyful. And that's where you'll find joy. When you realize that God loves you, even though you don't deserve his love, there is a deep and abiding joy. When you realize that the end of your journey is really Christ, and when you put your focus on Him and pursue Him, you find joy. When you step into the supernatural interaction with God, and you allow His Holy Spirit to work in you, there is joy. And so what did they do in response to this joy? They went into the house, verse 11, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. So there's two things in this, in this verse that I want to start with, and then we'll get to the third thing. The first is they drew near to Him. When we truly experience joy, it pulls us closer into relationship with Christ. Joy invites us closer. They stepped in, they walked straight in, and they were in His presence. If you want joy... It's in His presence. And then they fell down and worshipped Him. Our only right response when we feel joy is worship. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. They fell down and worshipped Him. Gentiles. And then what's the last thing they did? Opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were all gifts for royalty. And some people have gone so far as to put some special meaning to each one of these, and there may or may not be. We don't know that. The bottom line is that all of these gifts were gifts for royalty, and they were the most expensive possession that any one of these men would have had. They just opened up the checkbook, and they said, whatever is worthy because He is worthy of everything. And they gave the best that they had to Him. So what is our response to this joy God gives? It's giving Him the best of all that we have. The best of us. The first fruit of our labors. 
It means giving Him all that we have and all that we are. Giving Him not the scraps, not the leftovers, not the nooks and crannies of our lives, but all of our lives. Not the afterthoughts of our lives, but the very first and best of our lives. That's how we respond in joy. By drawing near, by worshiping Him, and by giving Him our best. And so this Christmas, as we experience, and I hope you re-experience joy, that you reconnect with the glory of this moment, of this child being born. We sing about it. He's the king, and he's worthy. He's worthy of our love and our, and our, and our expression of joy, of our worship, and of the best that we have. I hope this Christmas season you will reconnect with joy and that your response will be like the response of the Magi. Drawing near, worshiping, and giving Him your best. After I prayed that prayer that night as a 20-year-old by the side of my bed, when I stood up, and I felt joy like I'd never felt before. Do you know what the next thought that went through my mind? I've shared this before, but it's been a long time. God said, not audible, physically audible, not in some, you know, uh, flashing vision, but just a small whisper. I can't explain it in my heart. Todd, if you give me everything, that means I want to use you. Are you willing to do it? And I said, uh, yeah, because I was feeling joyful. And then the next thought that chased through my mind was, then go and make disciples. Give me everything all of your life for this work. And I said, darn, am I really going to do this? He's inviting us to enter into this joyful relationship with Him. Are you willing to give your all, and your best. Like the Magi did. And like he did for us. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you. But I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it. Put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.